All right. What is hope? What is hope? John Eldridge, the writer of um, Wild at Heart that many of you uh, have studied and uh, some other books that uh, are really good, he says in his most recent book, hope is the confident anticipation that goodness is coming. The confident anticipation that good is coming. Jesus' birth is a message of hope. It brings us into a season of hope. The, the, the shepherds said to the, or the, the angels said to the shepherds on the hillside, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. They brought a message of hope. They said, this is, some, this is good news for everybody that Christ is born in Bethlehem because with the message of Christ comes a message of hope. And uh, we're going to talk about hope over the next four weeks. And uh, we're t- today we're going to talk about hope for the earth. A lot of people are in despair about our earth. A lot of people are in despair about a lot of things, but there's a lot of despair about the, the state of our planet. And you hear about it all the time. And we're going to talk about that today. Next week we're going to talk about hope for the economy. And our hope for the economy is not in the, what the politicians do. And it's not in, in, in all those things. But, but there's a message of hope that comes from the Christmas story about how we are sustained in our life and how we are cared for in our life and that we don't have to live in fear over things like the economy. And we're going to talk on, on, uh, over uh, our, the 17th and Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about hope for the family, our family emphasis over those two weeks. And, uh, so, and, then, uh, and then on New Year's Eve, which is also on a Sunday, we're going to be talking about hope for the future. So today we're going to talk about hope for the earth, the confident anticipation that goodness is coming for the earth, for the planet. There are many conversations regarding the planet and the state, the state of affairs with our earth. And sometimes it's difficult to know what's truth, to know what's a conspiracy theory, to what, are, what are just speculative assumptions about the future of the earth. Sometimes we wonder, is it really pure scientific thinking that is going on, or is it wishful thinking that's going on? And sometimes in the conversation about the earth, there's just plain old denial and deceit. The environmentalists, the extreme environmentalists, are on the one extreme of the spectrum, and they are warning of pending doom. Like hellfire preachers of old, they're, they're standing in their places and they're saying, you either turn or you'll burn. Because the planet is, is, is so on the verge of destruction and we are all going to be destroyed if we don't do something different in our life. And they call the world to a place of repentance, to some kind of conservation and almost a near worship of the planet itself. On the other side of the spectrum, there are those people that deny there's a problem at all. That there's nothing happening in the earth that we need to be worried about. And on that extreme end, they continue to want to exploit the earth and all of its resources. They want to continue to live in a way that denies that the earth has any vulnerability. And that we can just keep on going, pulling resources from the ground and and polluting the air and the streams and all those things. and, And it's fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it a state of denial. On these, both these extremes, there are, there are motives. On the one side, there's fear that's motivating people. Legitimate fear. They're afraid for their future. 
They have no faith in God. They may have no faith in the word of God. They may have no faith in the promises of God. And so they live in fear, and they call the world to a place of fear. On the other end, the other extreme, I think there's oftentimes the motivation is greed, wanting more for ourselves so we can just continue to take from the earth all of its resources so that we can amass more comfort for ourselves and we can live in a way that pleases ourselves even though it may cost others their well-being and their life. So on these two extremes, fear and greed. But I believe in the middle, well, maybe not in the middle, in the right place, in the right place is the word stewardship. God has called us to be stewards of the earth, to care for the earth, to reign over the earth, and to, to, to treat it with great respect. I'm going to give you a minute to talk about some things for a moment, and I want you to answer this question. Turn around, get yourself a little group of people, and I want you to answer the question, how do you think God feels about the earth? Now, God feeling is maybe a different idea, but that's, you know, that's just a, a way to ask the question. What do you think God thinks about the earth? How does God feel about the earth? What's God's attitude towards the earth, the planet we live on? Take a minute, turn around and uh, talk about that. Well, here's a verse in Psalm 24, verse 1, that I think gives us a picture of God's posture towards the earth or how he feels about the earth. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. When Jesus comes to earth at Christmas, on that first Christmas, when he comes and he establishes himself here on earth, Jesus is beginning the reclamation, the reclaiming of earth as God's belonging. God owns the earth, and Jesus is beginning the process of bringing the kingdom to earth and reestablishing the throne of God here on earth where it belongs. This is the home of God. This belongs to God. This is his. Not just the people, but everything in the world. The earth itself belongs to God. This is his home. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, when he comes, he, he embraces everything about the earth, just like I was talking about in the communion time. He, 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 uh, first of all, he's born in a stable. Now, what's more earthy than a stable? You know, you've got all the, 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 uh, the animals there. You've got the, the smell of, of, that animals create. You've got Jesus laying in a feeding trough in the manger. You've got all of that there, and it's, it's not a pristine picture. Mary doesn't have a halo over her head. Her clothes aren't clean anymore. Um, you know, the, this is a real earthy moment. Jesus then enters his life, and he is just like every other human being, he becomes fully dependent upon his parents for his very life. He nurses with it from his mother. He's cared for by his mother and father and his extended family. Just like any child would be, Jesus is vulnerable to all of the things of earth. Jesus eats. He drinks. He, he, he has a career. What could be more earthy than being a carpenter? Jesus takes one of the resources of this earth, the wood from trees, and he creates things out of it with his own hands. 
Jesus, the one who participated in the creation of the earth, Genesis says he spoke the world into space. He actually, he actually brings himself down to a place where he's actually carving and cutting wood to create furniture with his own hands, taking every step that you and I would have to take in order to make those things. It says at one point that Jesus, when, his, when he's walking the earth and sharing his message with people, that he, um, he uses a rock for a pillow. He's very much part of the earth. If you go back to the Genesis story, it tells us that God blessed creation when he made it. It says in Genesis chapter 128, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Adam and Eve and the first humans were, were given the responsibility of reigning over the earth, caring for the earth. Um, now, some of the older translations use the word subdue, that uh, they should subdue the earth. And some people have used that word to, to, um, to justify abusing the earth. Like you would subdue something that is evil or something that is wild. You would, you would, you would actually uh, enforce your will upon that. And that's not really a great translation, and that's not a great interpretation. The, the better way to think of it is to reign over, to govern. Now, you wouldn't want to be part of a country where the government style of, 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 um, of reigning was subduing, abusing. If our government was, was called to subdue the population, that's not a great way to think about it, but to reign over us, to govern, to carefully bring justice and equity to all the people is what governance means. And so we are called to govern and to reign over the earth. And, uh, and God called the earth when he created it, he called every part of it good. The sky, the seas, the, the animals, all creation. Every day that he created something, he said, and it was good. It was created good. So Jesus comes, and, uh, and after sin has come into the world and brought destruction, Jesus comes now, and he's going to begin to restore all things to what it should have been like back in Eden. It's interesting that the sin that was committed... Was, was a sin that involved the, the um, crossing a boundary with something that grew in the earth. It was a tree. And God said, you can have all the plants and all the animals. You can, have, you can have everything in the earth, but this one tree, I don't want you to eat off this tree. And of course, that's what they did. They went to that one thing. They, 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 they went farther into creation than God wanted them to go. So scripture tells us now that Jesus, he's come to this earth and he's, he's, he's brought, he began the restoration of all things. We often emphasize that Jesus came to bring personal salvation to you and to me. That's kind of been the, the message of the church over the last century or two where we talk about personal salvation. Jesus becomes your personal Lord and Savior. And that's true. He came to die for you and to forgive you of your personal sins. But not only did he do that, he came also to bring restoration and redemption to all things, everything that's broken to sin. So it's not just personal salvation, it's corporate salvation, and it's salvation of the whole world. 
It says to us in Scripture in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, that Jesus now in heaven after the ascension, he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised. God is at work, began with Jesus coming to earth to restore all things, and Jesus is going to come back again, the Bible tells us, and he will complete that work of restoration. In the meantime, we are here on earth to continue that work. Romans chapter 8 says this about the earth. It says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, talking about creation, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with hope, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time to be released from sin and suffering. Paul says, you know, you can, if you listen, you can hear the whole creation, you can hear the whole earth groaning like a woman in labor, looking forward to the day when it will be released from sin and destruction and decay, and it will be completely restored when Jesus comes again. Some of our teaching about eternity has left the impression that God is not really interested in the earth. In fact, some have gone as far to say that God's, God doesn't care about the earth at all. In fact, he's just going to blow it up and destroy it. And I don't believe that's true. That's not really a complete uh, picture, complete view of the promise of what eternity is about. God has promised eternal life for you, for me, and for all of creation. The Bible talks, yes, about a new heaven and a new earth. That there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. And some people have taken that to mean, well, that God's going to destroy the old earth and make a new earth. But we never really, I've never heard preachers talk about God destroying heaven that exists now and making a new heaven. What we think about when we think about God making something new is the renewal of these things, the restoration of these things. God in Christ is able to redeem and restore all of creation without first destroying it. Look at how he works in your life, in my life. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've come to Jesus, you know him as your Lord and Savior, then you've no doubt seen Christ do that transformational work in your life. Things that were old have become new. Paul says. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We, become, we are changed from the inside out, and it's a process of renewal and restoration that takes place in our own life. God doesn't kill you in order to make you new. He even takes the very broken things of your life, the things that you're ashamed of, and they became what the Scripture calls a trophy of His grace. He's able to take your brokenness and turn it into something that is a trophy of his grace. So when it says that there's going to be a new earth, it doesn't mean that the old earth is going to be destroyed. The truth is that our salvation and the restoration of the earth are eternally linked. It's the same process at work in you and in me that's at work in the earth. Listen to what Jesus promised in uh, in. Um, 
in the Gospels. Jesus replied, I assure you that the world, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children, property for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Did you hear what that says? Our hope in eternity for the world is that God is going to restore everything that has been taken from us. You've lost loved ones? They're not lost. You've lost houses? You're going to get more houses. You lost property, earth, ground. You're going to get property. Not just the same little bit you had here, you know, our little postage stamp, you know, suburban lots <laughs> that we have. But Jesus says it's going to be restored a hundredfold. These are real, tangible things. He's not talking in metaphor here. That's not at all in the context of what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is that the things that have been taken from us, the things that have been destroyed by sin on this earth will be restored to you. You will not live on your own. You'll live in community with your family, with your friends, with the people that you love and care for, Jesus says. People... Houses, property, the most tangible earthly things will be restored to you. Jesus shows us that this is possible even in the way he ministered to people on earth. He, he gave us a picture of the foretaste of the things that will come to us in eternity. The complete restoration of all things. Think of the miracles of Jesus. Jesus performs miracles and shows us that he has the power to set things right. Even things that are, are failing now, that are not functioning properly, he is able to, to, to renew and restore their function without first destroying them. Like we talked about, Jesus turns water into wine. There's, there's no reason for us to lack anything in eternity because Jesus has the power to, to just speak out and wine can be created out of water. Blind can see, lame can walk. Jesus, he, he reveals in his, the way he interacts with people in healing them that, that these things that we see a constant decay and destruction in our body, he can restore in an instant. He can do it now, but he definitely will do it in eternity. That's the promise of eternal life. It's not life just kind of limping into heaven. It's life that is complete and full. You know, Peter, um, there's that one story in the New Testament where Peter is coming to Jesus, or Jesus is coming to to Peter on, in the boat, and, and Peter asks if he can walk on water, and Jesus says, sure, step out of the boat. You know, I think that's what it means when it says that we can reign and we can rule over the earth, that even the, the earth will be subject to us, and we'll be able to walk on water. I believe that. We can just say, well, I'm going to walk on this water. 
That's the kind of thing that, that Jesus is showing us. He raises Lazarus from the dead and says, you know, I have power over death. Even before his own resurrection, Jesus shows that he has power over death by raising Lazarus and others from the dead. But of course, Lazarus died again, and all his others died again, because that's a human existence. But Jesus himself died and rose again and ever lives to intercede for us. And in all of that, we see the picture of what eternal life is about. It's about Jesus coming to restore all things. It's a foretaste of his promise to restore and not replace. You know, we have had so much emphasis in our, in our teaching, and it's good, it's good teaching that we are going to go to heaven when we die. Jesus said to the, um, the, uh, the thief on the cross uh, beside him um, who asked Jesus for mercy on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. To die is to be with the Lord. Paul says it's great gain to die because we go to be with the Lord. And so we comfort people with these words at funerals and we say, you know, a people don't, their existence doesn't end. They go to be with the Lord and we say in heaven. Heaven is a kingdom where God where Jesus is today, the Bible says. He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and all the people, all, the, all those who have, have, have uh, died and, and who have, whose name are written in the book or, and who have, have professed faith in Jesus and all of those things, they say they're welcomed into heaven, just like that thief on the cross. But heaven, you need to understand, is a temporary place. Heaven is not what eternal life is all about. Heaven is, is, is a place, it's a place of great beauty, it's a place of great, a great joy, it's a great celebration, but the, when the Bible talks about what is going to be in the very end and all the things that will be in the very end, it is not just heaven, it's heaven and earth. And in fact, it talks about a joining of heaven and earth together. In the final picture in the book of Revelation, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. Do you notice that? It doesn't say we're going to God's home. God's coming to our home. Heaven comes down to earth. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. The message that John, the revelator, receives is a message about uh, a, a, a coming together of heaven and earth where, where God comes to dwell among the people. You know, eternal life is not about fluffy clouds and harps. And, and, a, and an everlasting church service in the sky. When the Bible talks about eternity, when, when, when eternal life, when the new heavens and the new earth are talked about, there's talk not of clouds and harps. 
There's, there's talk of rivers, of mountains, of meadows, of plants, of animals, and yes, even a great city. All of the things that we know to be on earth today are talked about being in heaven for eternity. We continue to participate in the life that God fully intended us to be part of. And this earth is part of that message and of that story. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. In the end, how do we live in the world today? In this in-between time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming, what do we do? Well, I believe Jesus calls us to work in cooperation with establishing his kingdom here on earth because that's ultimately what God is going to do. The kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus came to earth, he announced that the kingdom of God had come and we were establishing the kingdom of God and he invites us into the exciting work of bringing the kingdom of God onto this earth. When we understand that God loves not only the people of the world, but he loves the world itself. That this earth, this ball hanging in the universe and that we live on is something that God created and he loves. Then we should carefully consider how we steward it. We should hold it in high regard, not exploit it for greed and for pleasure. Nor should we shake in fear that we are solely dependent upon the, the resources of this earth for our future because God is at work in a deeper way than any, anything, any destruction that might come this way. Let me remind you of Acts chapter 3, what it says there. Now it's time to change your ways, it says. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins. Pour out showers of blessing to refresh you and send you the Messiah he prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, he must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again just the way God, through the preaching of his holy prophets of old, said it would be. The call in the book of Acts is that we would, we would repent of our willfulness, of our sinfulness, and that we would turn and we would cooperate with Jesus in the work that he is doing. So that as we cooperate with that work, he is able to be released from the heavens and come back to earth to do the final work of restoration of his kingdom here on earth. We need to be about the work of the kingdom. The day is coming when he will restore all things. And the call is for us as his followers to repent of all the ways that we are not in alignment with his will. I don't think destruction is part of his plan. Restoration is part of his plan. We need to live in a way that brings restoration. We need to steward the resources that he has given us. There's a beautiful hope for this world, all things to be restored. And in gratitude for that hope that we have for this earth, I think we should live in a way that honors the beauty and the gift that God has given us. A life of gratitude, a life of stewardship, a life of care. Not a life of exploitation, not a life of greed, but a life that, that cooperates with the work of the kingdom. And just as Jesus came and gave his life for us, humbled himself, became a man, died on the cross, rose again and ascended on high, so we too 
humble ourselves and we serve and we love and we care for the people of this earth and the earth itself. We don't worship it. We worship the God who made it. But we love it because he loves it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Lord, we pray today that you would, you would just take away the fears. Lord, we hear so many things around us, so many theories about what's happening to the earth and what's happening to the world and, and what's happening to humanity. And, and there's so much fear that goes around and so many things of darkness and so many messages of doom and gloom. We recognize, Lord God, that, that you have come not to destroy, but to redeem and to restore all things. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show us how we can cooperate with that work of the kingdom, how we can share in love with the people around us, how that we can exemplify a life that shows our care and our honor for you and what you have created. Lord Jesus, that we would be seen as people that bring hope and life into this world where people are, are so uh, afraid and think they have to grab for themselves. But Lord, we live, in a, we live in, a, in, a, in a world where you give freely, where we can walk in your kingdom and you promise that you'll care for our every need. Help us to live in, in relationship to you to each other and to this world in a way that honors your kingdom call. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.